This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Hey, Bills Mafia. We know there's only one topic every day. All Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bovey and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. Well, Bills fans, hopefully these last couple days have kind of calmed you down a little bit after the stinker that was the Monday Night Football game against the New York Jets. Thanks for listening to another episode of It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Matt Bovey, Channel 7, joined by Sal Capaccio, Bill Sideline reporter, WGR. Sal, so now we are a few days removed from that game. We've had a chance to really hear from everybody. We heard from Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Sean McDermott, Ken Dorsey. It feels like they think they'll write the ship. But do you think they'll write the ship? Because that's the question everybody wants to know this week. What are we going to see from yeah. the offense? Yeah, I, I think a couple things here, Matt. Um I agree with you. It feels like they believe that now it's not a hubris of ours going to go out there and beat the Raiders. I think that it just, it's a confidence of, Hey, we beat ourselves. We're better than that. We know not to do that. We're not going to let it happen again. Josh even said that Josh said, you know, in the grand scheme of things, and he took ownership that he said in the grand scheme of things, it's one game. We're not going to let it become two, you know? And I like that kind of talking. I do think it's a team that they should be able to beat. I mean, come on. It's the, it's the Raiders who, are not nearly as talented as the Bills. They have talent, there's no doubt. But roster for roster, they're not the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are a nine-point favorite for a reason. Um, So I do think they should be able to. And quite honestly, throughout Josh Allen's career, when he's had poor games and a lot of turnovers, he's been great the next game. So I think that he's been very good at self-correcting, self-understanding, and making sure – They always talk about stacking wins. He makes sure that he doesn't stack bad performances. Yeah, the only thing, I hear everything that you're saying. I agree with it for the most part, but I am certainly not overlooking anybody because I wonder what would the line have been if it was Zach Wilson and the Jets going into the game? The Bills would probably be favored by nine points, ten points in New York, and they still played down to their competition, and they lost. I don't think they're going to do it back-to-back weeks. I think they are a much better team than what they displayed, but I do think it's a combination of both. I think it's they're better than they showed. And I think the Jets defense is really legit. And for some reason, just gives Josh a problem every single time. It needs to be a bounce back game. But that being said, he cannot try and do too much and try and like, you know, kind of make up for it. Like, I don't need to see Josh going out there and throwing it 40 times in this game. Like, let the game dictate how you need to play, have a balanced attack offensively. I think you should be able to move the ball better and easier on the ground and in the air against this team. Obviously, the big concern with their defense is Max Crosby, especially if Max Crosby is going to go up against Spencer Brown a lot. That's a battle that they could win. So maybe they try and implement some of the really like quick passes that they were doing early in the Jets game, try and get Josh into a little bit of a rhythm, and then start to take your shots, then start to be a little bit more calculated. But yeah, I, I think they'll bounce back. But I'm a little bit concerned that they're going to be so focused on playing a clean game that they're going to be in their head and they won't play free. Like that's the thing that I keep going back to. Like I don't want I don't want to see Josh thinking too much. Like he is so good because of how he reacts and just because he's such an incredible athlete. Yeah, you need to be coached. Yeah, you need to rein it in. But don't try and fit into a box that you shouldn't be trying to fit into. 
Yeah, and for sure, you can't overlook anyone. We all we all remember Josh's rookie year, Bills going to Minnesota, and they were like 17-point underdogs, and they won, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Crazy. You know, you, you can't let that happen. I mean, I, I'm pretty confident in this team, this staff, Josh Allen, of course, but anything can happen. It's the National Football League, but I think they have the right people and temperament in their organization and in the room to understand the gravity of, you know, what it would mean to go 0-2 against oh. two conference teams, right? Especially yeah. one division team. And then another team. So I agree with all of that. I want to go back to what's what people have been saying, right? Um, you know, Ken Dorsey, of course, says he trusts Josh Allen implicitly. I did ask Ken Dorsey, is there any thought to him going down and being on the sidelines? You know, he calls plays from the booth that he could kind of talk to Josh directly. And that's not implying, and I haven't said I know you have trust in Joe Brady. It's not implying that he wouldn't have trust in Joe Brady, but you wonder if there needs to be some other sort of communication going on with Josh on the sidelines, I don't know if it's going to matter. I don't, I don't quite frankly, probably wouldn't to be quite honest no. with you, but you wonder if, and by the way, his answer to that was their process has been good for a year. They don't want to screw up the process. And I agree with that. I just wonder if there's got to be somewhere along the line, some sort of communication during a game to Josh or, you know, because you, you let Josh play and you just have to then trust that he's going to make those corrections. Has their process been good? Like, and if it has been good, does it matter? Because has the play on the field been consistently good? I would say that it's been okay. And I think you should be looking for anything that maybe gives your team a spark or maybe anything that kind of gets you out of a rut. Maybe they try it and they hate it, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea. I also don't necessarily think it would make a huge difference, but I just keep coming back to like the process has been good. I don't think this offense has been good really since what? the Packers game last year, like they've been statistically good, but they never looked like a dominant unit that could just go down the field and move the ball. So I think there is room for improvement. This is, you know, such a big picture conversation. Josh Allen is the reason why they lost that game on Monday Night Football, but Ken Dorsey did not do him any favors. I think it's Ken Dorsey's job to get the most out of your best players. Your best player is Josh Allen. We know it can be done because we saw it done with Brian Dable for years here. And that's not a fair bar. Like Brian Dable is a head coach in the NFL now because he is one of the elite offensive minds in the game. But I feel like there's still a gap between what he has looked like with Dorsey and what he was with Dable. I think he just needs to get closer to that middle. And I think that's what the realistic expectation is. And it still just has never felt like this offense, even going back in the Jets game. They get the ball down 16-13. You know that they have to score, and you know that they've got four downs. At that point, I feel pretty confident that they're going to go down the field and probably tie the game. I was like, at least they're going to get to field goal range. I'm confident in that. But then the minute they took that false start penalty in overtime, Spencer Brown, Mm -hmm. and it was second and 15, I'm Mm -hmm. like, they're going to have to punt. And they're going to have great field position. I would have never thought, obviously, the Jets returned it. But I just do not have nearly as much confidence in the Bills offense as I did, I don't know, a year and a half ago or even at the beginning of last year. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're wrong at all about the Dable point. That's been brought up a lot by people. But I I think you're also right that, like, the drop-off, it's anybody. Like any Brian Dable to anybody is going to be a drop-off. So – you know, the question is like, where is Ken Dorsey with that, with Josh Allen and where, what level can he get him to? Um, because I think it's kind of unfair to talk about Ken Dorsey like that because the bar is so high. You, you know, there's an old saying in sports, you know, this, you never want to be the man who follows the man. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be the man who follows the man who followed the man. Right. Yeah. Um, you, so there's such a high bar. I agree with you there. I, I wonder though, Matt, what, what's do, what doesn't make sense to me is. They were humming in the first half of last season mm-hmm. with Ken Dorsey as a first year offensive coordinator. Yeah. It was right after losing Brian Dable. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know what changed other than a Josh Allen injury, of course, that didn't help things. But I mean, you look, Josh only threw in the last 13 games, okay, last 13 games, counting playoffs. Josh only thrown for 300 yards three times. Like, obviously, he's just not been the exact same quarterback. And again, again I understand UCL injury. But it's not like they've been devoid ever since Brian Dable left. They were really, really high-powered and good and doing everything right those first, what, six, seven weeks yeah. after Brian Dable left last year when Ken Dorsey. That's what's not making sense to me when uh-huh. I think perfectly logical you bring up the Brian Dable point. I don't, I don't doubt that at all. I just have a hard time 
washing that with the fact of how good they were immediately after he left for six, seven games. Well, they weren't that good, though. They were really oh, good. I think they were in the first part of the year last year. Well, they were for two games. And then they lost to Miami. They stunk in that game. And then they rallied against the Ravens in that like weird sloppy rain game where I think they put up like 20-something points or whatever it was. Then they kind of hit their stride a little bit, but then they cooled off. And it was like they hit their stride. It's all relative, right? Because the Chiefs game, they scored, I think, 24 points in that game. But it was a pretty good offensive game. You know, there was a few little mishaps here and there. There was the fumble to McKenzie on the like pitch thing. So offensively, I think they were better then than they were now. I think that should be, though, what they are capable of doing. And I think they will be. Like, I, I really do think that Josh is going to be okay. I tweeted this earlier in the week. I am more concerned about the play caller than I am about the player. And that's not necessarily just a reaction to week one. It's just the trends that they're heading in the direction. I trust that they will get better, but I do not think Dorsey has, like, the longest leash in the world here. Because if something doesn't get better, Somebody will be to blame, and it's not going to be Josh Allen. It's just not oh, no, internally. Not. Not. So it makes you wonder, what is the pan- – like when do you start to panic? I said something on the news earlier this week. I said the sky is certainly not falling, but it might not be a bad idea to have an umbrella ready because if things do not get better quick, like they have to beat the Raiders and they have to beat the Commanders. It is week two and week three. Yeah, I agree. I'm not, I'm not afraid to throw around like, these are must-win games, which is ridiculous for a team that's got the aspirations that they have. But you, with the schedule at the end of the season, you cannot slip up on back-to-back weeks and expect that you can make up ground later. Because if you're going to make up ground later, then you're talking about beating the Chiefs, the Cowboys, your division opponents again, like the Chargers. Like these are tough teams. These are tougher teams than the Jets without Aaron Rodgers, the Raiders, and the Commanders. Bills did do something they said they were going to do, and I think it was the right game plan and the right way to approach it, which is they were very heavy 12 personnel team on Monday Mm -hmm. night. And for everybody who might not understand, 12 personnel means two numbers. One is number of running backs on the field. Two is number of tight ends. So one, two, 12. So two tight ends in the field. That's what they wanted to go towards. They were the heaviest 12 personnel team. They ran that more than any team in the league. Um, unfortunately, though, it didn't translate into the numbers I thought it would for Dalton Kincaid doing that. I like that. I want him to stick with that. I know that I know that it wasn't a great offensive output statistically, but mm-hmm. I think that's the right approach. I think that's how they've constructed their roster, and I like it. And again, I'll go back to look at the look at the film. There were guys open. It wasn't like Ken Dorsey didn't scheme guys open. He called plays where people were open, and Josh Allen didn't hit him, didn't find him, bailed out of the pocket too soon. Whatever it is, I would like to see them continue with that twelve personnel. I do think that is the way for them to go. I don't disagree with you, but in uh, to your point of there being guys open, there were, but you know, the plays that everybody's going to think about are they're going to think about the Gabe Davis interception, the third interception where Diggs was wide open in the middle of the field. And then on the first interception, you're going to say, well, like Josh could have just ran it, but he tried to hit Hardy over the top, probably didn't see the safety. I just want to see more specific plays for down and distance that I see around the league. Like, If it's third and one, I don't know. You could just throw a screen to Deontay Hardy and follow your block and you're going to get a yard. Or if if Damian Harris can't get a yard, then he probably should not be on the team. So I just don't know. So the Gabe Davis interception happens on third and two. Maybe they told Josh, like, your read here is Diggs. And then he panicked and he tried to hit Davis over the top. Don't even give him the option. you got to protect him from himself at that point. There should be three guys who are running three, four-yard routes and just getting – you know what I mean? Like those are Yeah, such I want to tie this into something Dorsey said. I, I, I like it because, first of all, I think on that particular play, I think what he did do was – and I don't know if they told him what his read is necessarily, but I do think he saw it was man-to-man coverage. He put Diggs in motion. Guy goes with Diggs, so he knows it's man-to-man. He picks out the matchup he likes, which is Davis. Shouldn't have been. He predetermined where he was going to go. Shouldn't uh-huh. have been. What I didn't like about that play was exactly what you just said, which is, to me – that's a great opportunity for a QB run. Like it's third and two, mm-hmm. just get on the edge, let Josh get it and get out of bounds, get down. I mean, I know we don't love seeing Josh running. That would be it because honestly, even if he gets a yard and a half, you might go for it on fourth down on fourth and a half. But mm-hmm. to me, that was a great opportunity for a QB designed run. So on Thursday, Ken Dorsey says to the media, they intentionally 
He said, we limited the designed runs for Josh. Okay. Look, we all talk about, we've talked about for months. You know, you don't want Josh running all the time and taking a pounding, mm -hmm. but here's the, the coordinator saying we limited his designed runs. And I'm thinking back, well, I think maybe there might've been a few times where maybe you could have called those. And I, I want to know where that's going to go. And I, this is probably a ridiculous take. Okay. I'm sorry if you're listening to this and you're like, this guy knows nothing to that point. I have thought this for a little while. I think maybe you've coached football. So tell me if I'm wrong here. I think maybe he's coached a little bit too much and I think he's in his head. And that's one of the reasons why there's forced. I think he's scared to just go out there and be an athlete and make a play and run. And that's why on the first interception, he isn't trying to run for the first down and he's trying to hit him over the top. And that's why on the third interception, he's not just running and picking up the first down and he's trying to throw the ball. Like I think he is legitimately, everybody keeps telling him you need to be smarter. You need to be smarter. You need to avoid hits. And now he is in his head about doing that and not just reacting to the play. Well, to, like to, a I, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say I think you're crazy. I don't agree with you, but, I think there's room for me to agree with you in this sense. If that were true, man, I don't know why he's trying to run over people on a set, on a, you know, <laughs> in between two guys and that's, jumping that's over a, guys. That's, that's a very fair counter. That's right? a very I mean, fair like, counter. I, he, he wouldn't be scared. He, he's not, he didn't avoid. He also had one where he ran up the middle and there was a, there's been a lot of talk about was it a design run? Was it a pocket breaking down? But he took off, right? I mean, like, yeah. so I don't think that. I do think, however, there's room for you to be right here in this sense, which is, there may be times where he's running and going, oh, yeah, I've been told, I, don't do this. Just go, just throw it. Like, don't run here. And maybe that's messing him up. I don't know, right? Like, mm -hmm. hey, sometimes he says, I don't care. And sometimes he goes, oh, yeah, I got to remember not to do that. And mm -hmm. that can absolutely mess anybody up where you're kind of caught in between what you're trying to do. Um, and then there was one other point about that. I completely probably pretty much forgot what I was going to say, but that's okay. It was about, about the offense and how Josh is doing all this. But um, – I don't think they're coaching him too much. I, no. In fact, maybe he has to be coached a little harder and more on not, you know, throwing the interceptions and taking yeah. those chances. But I do think that the messaging, the messaging could be messing with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think that's a very fair point. And I think nothing really feels like it's super cohesive right now. Right. It is one game. So I do not think that this is the end of the world. I do think that they're going to bounce back. I think they need to bounce back. And I think if they go out there on Sunday and have a really strong offensive performance, you know, it's funny because the defense could almost look terrible. But if the offense puts up 35, 40 points, most Bills fans are probably going to be happy and go, okay, offense is back. That's what we needed. You know what I mean? Like it's probably yeah. so much better for your football team to win a game 24-10 than it is to win it 35 30 Four, but I think Bills fans, that's what they want to see. They want to see the offense go out there and put up points. And I think they have an opportunity to at least do that. I mean, the thing that I keep coming to the first week of the NFL season is always weird. It just always is. Yep, and offenses usually are a little bit behind defense. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just that the offense was behind the defense, it was behind a defense that is talking to themselves, talking about themselves in the same breath as the 85 bears. I certainly don't think they're that, but they are very, very good. And I think it was just kind of like the perfect storm for things that could go wrong. And now you kind of slowly got to dig yourself out of that hole. And I, and I do think they will. The Raiders are up next, the home opener. And that is going to be Sunday at one o'clock in Orchard park. I sat down with Vinny bond senior. He is the Raiders beat reporter for the um, review journal. He's also host of the, let me get this right, the Morning Tailgate on Raider Nation Radio. And Vinny is going to tell us all about what the Raiders present, including possible injury updates to Devontae Adams, Jacoby Myers, and Jimmy Garoppolo, and what to expect when they come to town to face the Buffalo Bills. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, it's Sal Capaccio from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day. 
your weekly source for all things Buffalo Bills. Right on time, your time. In the car, navigate the streets with NFL wisdom in your ear. We accompany every errand you need to run. Washing the windows or vacuuming the carpets? Don't just clean, conquer. Podcasts make you more productive because we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow It's Always Game Day in Buffalo in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, my man, Vinny Von Sr. joining us here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. It's good to catch up. It's always hard for us. You're not only Western time zone, I'm Eastern time zone, where you're Pacific, but we basically have radio shows at the exact same time, so it's always hard for us to get together and, and talk. Exactly. Those those three hours are are, are different. You know, it's interesting about that. Uh, spent some time with the uh, Raiders practicing against the Rams, and it turns out that Josh McDaniels and Sean McVay have become really good friends. And what's helped expedite that is that they're now on the same time zone, uh, the, the Pacific time zone. So their their times line up. You know, the Rams actually practice in the afternoon, the Raiders more in the morning. So it all kind of works out. Whereas when he was in New England, Josh McDaniels and Sean McVay was, uh, you know, obviously in Los Angeles. They could never link up because of the time change, too. So uh, I, I think I think we understand where they're coming from. Uh, Vinny, normally I'd have my co-host Matt Beauvais with me here, but just you and I talking. Matt couldn't uh, participate in this particular interview, but it's always good to have you. And I have to ask, you are in Vegas, right? Because the Raiders are not. The Raiders are in West Virginia. Tell us all about that. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, when the schedule came out, they decided to uh, to go ahead and spend the week in West Virginia to kind of get acclimated to the, uh, the time zone. There's, I guess, some humidity going on uh, still on the East Coast, so a little bit different weather. Uh, so they just wanted to get a little bit of a leg up on it. They do that, um, you know, on pretty much on a yearly basis if there's back-to-back -back, uh, games or, or East Coast trips that they want to kind of get a leg up on. Uh, later on in the year when they play the Miami Dolphins, they're going to go to Orlando uh, to practice there for a week. Last year when they played Jacksonville in between playing the Saints, uh, they went out to the IMG Academy, um, you know, uh, in Sarasota uh, to practice there. So uh, so not unusual for them to uh, to spend a week away from town to try to get acclimated to uh, to the surroundings that they're going to be playing in. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Vinny Bon Sr. joining us. Uh, he is the Raiders beat reporter for the Review Journal. He's also the host of the Morning Tailgate on Raider Nation Radio. All right, let's just take a look back. To last week first the bills obviously on national television a game that they really kind of gave away with josh allen's turnovers but the opposite was true for the las vegas raiders i mean they go to denver they get a a victory an upset win over the denver broncos how did it happen yeah um they did some very unlike un, un raider like things let's put it <laughs> that way um especially of, of, of recent years they played their best football when the best football uh was required and it all kind of followed their worst moment there are two worst moments really uh jimmy g throws a, a an end zone interception can't have that uh, he called it stupid dumb idiotic after the game so he definitely owned it uh but they throw the interception in the end zone which a td gives them the lead uh a, a, a field goal i think would have tied it at that point so kind of a devastating way to start the fourth quarter then their defense which has been playing pretty good forces a three and out only on fourth down on a punt they run into the punter they give the Broncos a new set of downs. But from that mo moment on, they played their best football. They don't give up a touchdown in this situation. You're, in years past, including last year, they give up the touchdown right there. So rather than go down by 10, it's a six-point game. The Raiders' offense then scores a touchdown uh, to go up 17-16. to 16. They give the ball back at six minutes. With about six minutes left in the game. Fair for Raider Nation to start worrying at that point because they've given up plenty of leads by turning – yeah, the lead right back over in that situation. Instead, they force a three and out, 
uh, make some great defensive plays to do that. The, the Broncos punt the ball, and the Raiders get it with five minutes and eight seconds left. Fair to wonder once again, how are the Raiders going to blow this? They've always kind of gone three and out right there, give the other team another chance. The other team goes and scores the winning touchdown or winning field goal, and that's all she wrote. Well, this time, they did something that when we looked at the statistics of this, you have to go all the way back to 2000 when they started kind of tracking this and I'm talking about sport radar. I don't know how much further it goes beyond that because it only stops at 2000, but the Raiders have never, since that data has started being accumulated in 2000, the Raiders have never killed off a clock to preserve the lead uh, of five minutes or more. So it's the first time they've really ever done that in, in modern history. So when we talk about very un-Raider-like things, that certainly was the case. And to, and to, and to uh, not give the Broncos another chance at the, at the ball uh, turned out to be obviously the game winner. And uh, you got to give a lot of credit to Jimmy Garoppolo. He played winning football. The defense played winning football. Um, so I don't know if it's sustainable. We'll see in Buffalo. Uh, but not a bad start for the Raiders to start this season. No, nice efficient day for Jimmy G. 20 of 26, only 200 yards, though. Is that, is that the way they need him to play it? Is that kind of the going to be the formula for success for them this year? I think what – and I've talked to Jimmy about this. He's like, hey, whatever it takes. <laughs> you know, uh, he's won football games all sorts of different ways, whether it's handing the ball off a bunch of times or throwing it a bunch of times. Um, he's done it, uh, you know, lots of different ways. So I would imagine that from week to week, that's probably going to change. It was enough for them to win this game. Um, you know, it might not be enough, though, against uh, the Buffalo Bills, uh, who have a much more prolific offense than the Denver Broncos. So uh, for the Raiders, I think, to win this game on Sunday, they're going to have to be a little bit more productive offensively, and probably some of that's going to have to come through the air, although they definitely need more than uh, what, what Josh Jacobs gave them in week one as well. Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, we know how powerful they are. They have a great running game, rushing leader. And by the way, Obviously, a big deal for them to even have Josh Jacobs back after what happened. But Jacoby Myers did not practice again on Thursday. That was a vicious hit he took uh, against the Denver Broncos. He's still in the league's concussion protocol. A, do you expect him to play the way this is trending, at least? I don't expect you to be you know, the medical professional here. Uh, and B, how big of a loss would it be if he didn't? Yeah, I, I think, go, you know, kind of tracing back to, uh, you know, how many times have we had to cover uh, concussion protocols? I don't even think I think I don't think you even get are allowed to practice at some point. You know, and there's so many different hurdles to clear to get re to, to be approved to play on Sunday that I'm not sure it even is is, you know, uh, that's able to happen before a Thursday. So um, I don't know if this is, you know, a bad trend that he hasn't practiced yet or just sort of part of the uh, process. And, you know, uh, we don't know if he's cleared a bunch of things to get to a certain point, maybe tomorrow. Um, you know, when they get back on the field, is if he's able to do a little bit of something uh, uh, on, on, on Friday, that might be the bigger tell one way or another. If he's not out there, that's probably not a good sign whatsoever. If he is out there, then it sounds like he'd be making progress or it seems yeah. like he would be making progress. How big of a loss would it be if he didn't play? Yeah, well, you saw last week um, what he was able to do. Two touchdowns was kind of the focal point of the passing game, along with Devontae, obviously. So, yeah. It would be a big loss. It would put um, uh, an onus, I think, on Hunter Renfro, who didn't have any targets uh, on Sunday. He would have to be more featured in the offense. I think Michael Mayer, uh, the rookie tight end, along with Austin Hooper, uh, the veteran tight end. So, And, of course, Josh Jacobs. I think if Jacoby can't go, uh, there's going to have to be sort of a uh, by, by committee type of a thing. But don't ever forget, uh, they do have number 17 over there, uh, and he's been known to carry the day. So uh, yes. that might be – uh, a big day. If you're looking at, uh, at at fantasy football, maybe it's it's time to pick up uh, uh, Devontae Adams over there on the other side. Last thing on the offense. Um, the offensive line had really good PFF grades, you know, uh, as far as pass protecting. What? Where are they? Is that the truth of who they are? Was it more of Jimmy just getting rid of the ball? Was it a, not a good pass rush for Denver? How good is this offensive line? Probably a little bit of both. This was a unit that was trending up at the end of the season. I think they started as the second worst offensive line, according to Pro Football Week. Pro Football Focus to start last season, they finished uh, as the 10th best offensive line. So that's a pretty big jump for them. And it was indi indicative of how they play and kind of how, how played and how they came together. And I think Sunday was a continuation of that. They brought back uh, every starter uh, except for a guy that you guys probably know pretty well. Greg, Greg Van Ruten uh, took over yep. right guard for Alex Bars, so he's now the starter there. That's the only difference from last year to this year. Um, and then I think Jimmy G did a great job of identifying, you know, where the blitzes and the pressure was coming from, communicating it to the offensive line, 
Uh, it's the quarterback's role uh, in this offense to do that. You mentioned him getting the, rid of the ball pretty quickly. Uh, that's that's another factor. He also did a good job with his feet to elude the pressure when it was there uh, and actually ran the ball a couple of times. I told him afterwards, thank you uh, for showing the world that some of us Italians can actually run a, a little bit. Um, he got a pretty big laugh out of that. He said, look, it's not normally what we do, but sometimes we got to do it. So uh, so Jimmy showed that he can uh, run a little bit, got that key first down at the end of the game. So it was kind of a combination of both. But I do, at, from the starting point, you have to give Jimmy G a lot of credit for for managing things at the line of scrimmage the way he did. Talking with Vinny Bond Sr. here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. All right, the other side of the ball. I'll just ask, what in the world is going on with Chandler Jones? My Syracuse guy, by the way. I went to Syracuse. He went to Syracuse. But what is going on? Mm. We we we're interested in him too locally because of the uh, the connection in Central New York and his family, but also because of you know the this the story. It just seems wild. It does, and um, you know, for us, it kind of came out of the blue. Um, I would imagine that there was something that was probably brewing there behind the scenes. He had missed a good chunk of training camp. He just wasn't out there, and we just kind of assumed that it was injury related, and maybe it was. Uh, but you know, you know how it is in training camp; they're not obligated to tell us exactly what's going on. Um, so, so all of a sudden, you know, the Monday before the season opener, all of a sudden, you know, he's firing off a series of, uh, weird cryptic, uh, uh, Instagram posts and, uh, and that followed the next day as well. And the next thing, you know, um, he's nowhere to be found, at least from the, I mean, he's here locally as far as I know, uh, but he's not been around the Raiders and he just has, has been away. And I don't expect that that's going to change anytime soon. Um, I don't know exactly how they're going to handle this. Uh, it's it's it seems like it's leaning toward maybe uh, a breakup, uh, but I'm, I think they're trying to figure out exactly how to go about doing that. But uh, but it's it created a big hole for the Raiders. They were counting on Chandler Jones to have a better season than he had last year in his first season uh, with the Raiders, opposite Max Crosby, kind of as the mentor uh, to the young kid Tyree Wilson. Well, all of that went out the door uh, first week of the season. All of a sudden, Tyree now has to play a bigger role. Malcolm Kuntz, University of Buffalo, uh, has to play a bigger role. Um, so it, there's been a domino effect, and, and I feel like, like the Raiders are going to be feeling that for a little while, unless something miraculous comes uh, about and there's a reconciliation or a, um, or, or a positive outcome. And, and here's the tricky thing. We don't even know exactly what's going on. And right. I, you know what I, you know, what's interesting to me. Like we had this, all this stuff with Stefan Diggs over the summer. And every time I did a show with somebody, what's going on with Stefan Diggs? And it kind of went just away, right? Like Stefan showed up, right. everything's good. It's all uh, rainbows and nobody knew anything about Chandler Jones. And suddenly we're here. It's kind of a totally opposite situation. Does anybody know how we got here? No, uh, not at all. And, um, and you know, Josh McDaniels has classified it as and termed it as a, uh, a personal matter. And, you know, sometimes as reporters, we have to respect that. Yep. Um, it makes it sound like it's obviously something that goes beyond just football and this is human. Uh, we all know, and I don't want to cast any anything one way or another, but we all know that, you know, with mental health and with, you know, all of that, you have to be aware of all of it. And so, as reporters, I think we've done a pretty decent job of just respecting where this is right now. I'm sure answers are going to come down the road, but right now might not be the time for that. All right, so let's talk about the other side of it, which is Max Crosby. I mean, I, I spoke with Mitch Morse and a couple other offensive linemen. They have so much respect for him. Really, yeah. I mean, Mitch Morse said, you watch play one and play 60 maybe, whatever it is, and you can never tell the difference. This guy just goes hard. He balls all the time. How important is he to that defense? And what's crazy is he does that in practice, Sal, and I'm not kidding around. Crazy. It's he he put Michael Mayer, the first day in pads, to put to put this in perspective. They the coaching staff said, Max, you're on uh, uh the rookie today. And I don't know if it was Max Crosby uh feeling um, you know, uh, or or holding it up for every, you know, two-star recruit or non-star recruit. That had to go the mid-major way, the way he did. Uh, that that was going to stick it to the five-star recruit Michael Mayer from Notre Dame, um, but he just had his way with Michael, and it was it was done on purpose so Michael Mayer could truly understand what this was all about, and everybody handled it with respect, and there was really appreciation too. But you, you it's one thing to say, hey, hey, uh, go get the rookie, you know, veteran defensive end, and and maybe you know uh, uh, for a player to be able to teach him a couple lessons, but Sal, this was play in and play out for an entire practice. And um, and to be able to pull that off, as Max Crosby did, you have to have some superpowers to do that. So, yes, 
Uh, that's how he practices. That's how he plays. And I still feel like there's better football in, uh, ahead for him. It's amazing. All right. They have the two Marcuses uh, in the secondary. Josh, obviously very familiar with Marcus Epps, his former uh, Wyoming teammate. When I asked him about it, he interrupted me and said, go pokes. So he knows <laughs> who he is. Uh, they have a relationship. Uh, Marcus Peters, obviously, we know what he's done in this league. Um, what is the rest of the secondary, though? I know that they can be a little young and maybe susceptible at times. Yeah, Jacorian Bennett, fabulous uh, game one for a rookie, couple penalties, but you know a lot of that was just kind of sort of a rookie type stuff. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, really good games. Nate Hobbs um, had a spectacular game uh, playing now the slot cornerback uh, position. You mentioned Marcus Peters, Marcus Epps, uh, the veteran safety, um, you know, has done a really good job. Good job. So they've done a, a pretty good job of changing over that secondary, adding some veterans. Uh, and then you go to the linebackers, Robert Spillane, Divine Diablo. Um, you know, they had really good games uh, on Sunday. Again, I keep saying unraider-like, but even that defensive <laughs> effort at all levels was very unraider-like. Well, I know that um, Sean McDermott has faced Josh McDaniels and vice versa, you know, several times. So it's not like they're unfamiliar with each other. And these two teams, going back to 1960, I was doing some research. If you count the playoffs, 42 meetings. 21 and 21. It's crazy. This is actually like the rubber match. I and mean, Bills and Raiders have an outstanding history going way, way back. Yeah. And uh, they played a lot early. They haven't played a yep. lot as right. of late. Um, you know, it gets, it's very just periodic. Uh, but it's, it is fun when these two organizations get together because they're the AFL blue bloods. And uh, there is, you know, all those stories about how the Bills actually helped uh, the yeah. Raiders early on. So there's a lot of respect there and there's a lot of greatness as well. Uh, and it's always fun when when these two teams and these two organizations get it together. Vinny, thank you so much. Uh, we really always appreciate you. And are you going to be up here in Buffalo this weekend? I'm actually not going to be there. Oh. Uh, I traded that one trip to one of my coworkers because he's from Buffalo. And he was oh. just, I said, okay, go for it. Kind of kicking myself, but it is what it is. It's all good. No, no, hey, you're a good man for doing that. Next time you come up here, either way, though, now you get double wings on me because yes. you're such a good guy and you allowed that to happen. Uh, Vinny Bond Sr., he is the uh, beat reporter for the Las Vegas Raiders for the Review Journal. He's also the host of the Morning Tailgate on Raider Nation Radio. My man, either way, we're going to catch up somewhere down the, yes. down the line, whether it's combine, owners meetings. Yes. Thanks for doing this right. today. I always appreciate it. Thank you, Sal. I really appreciate it, brother. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Well, we thank Vinny Bond Sr. there. So, Matt, it looks like maybe no Jacoby Myers for the um, mm -hmm. Raiders. I mean, he he's going through this. Did you see the hit he took? Yeah, I did. After oh, the fact. Vicious. I saw it after yeah. the fact because right. there was a couple other players who I guess people thought should have probably been taken out of games because of concussions. And then you have the hit with him, too. Yeah, it was it was a bad one. And I just I do wonder, you know, he'll you, you hope he's OK, but um, he is progressing through the protocol in some capacity. But. We'll see on Friday if he practices. By the time people hear this, we might know. If he's not practicing on Friday, I would think he's not going to play. It looks like Adam's going to play. And Jimmy I mean, he had, a he had a really nice game the last game. Jacoby Myers led their team. Oh. He had 10 targets, 81 yards, two I'm touchdowns. I'm a big Jacoby Myers guy. I think Jacoby so Myers, to me, was the number one receiver uh, available in free agency, and he got paid like it. I think the, I think the Patriots made a mistake. They decided to yeah. let him go and then give Juju Smith-Schuster the same money. Yeah, especially it's weird because he was kind of like a homegrown guy there. Mm -hmm. So it was weird that they let somebody that they developed walk and then basically use the same money to go get somebody else who, I don't know, they're, mar I don't know, is Juju even marginally better than Jacoby Myers? I think, yeah. I mean, we could look at stats. I'd, I would rather have Jacoby Myers on my team. 
Juju Smith-Schuster has name recognition, right? right? And, you know, he won a Super Bowl last year, so certainly that's not a bad thing. But, yeah, I don't know. It, th- we talked about Jacoby Myers a little bit this summer because whenever we were talking about Gabe Davis, yeah. we were basically saying Gabe Davis would have gotten paid more than Jacoby Myers did get paid and way too early in the season. I don't know if that's necessarily true, though, right? Like, I don't know how yeah, big I, of a gap I, there is there. Yeah, I don't really know, but I think it is a good barometer for, you know, what – what maybe Gabe could have commanded on the open market. A couple other notes from uh, Vinny. Well, the Raiders have actually, they're in West Virginia practicing. They yeah. are, they are very much into sports science and analytics. And what that told them was to go and they didn't have an, they, they don't have back to back East coast games. It's not like they played week one and two or even two and three. They're back home next week. They were in Denver last week. Yeah. So they decided to travel to Buffalo. I'm sorry to travel to West Virginia on Tuesday, practice all week. And then they're going to come to Buffalo on Saturday. Interesting strategy. That makes no sense to me, none whatsoever. And obviously people who are way smarter than both of us are probably telling them that that is something that they should Mm -hmm. do. But what is the flight from Vegas to Buffalo? Four and a half hours? Right. So you are saving yourself three hours of a flight, but you're also putting your team in a hotel for four days? Saturday, so five total. Five nights. That's strange or, or in West Virginia, one in Buffalo for hotel. That's right. That's what I mean. Like that's strange to me. Like you're taking, yeah. uh, you're getting rid of a routine for four, three extra hours of a flight. Well, that team that is coming to Buffalo has Jimmy Garoppolo, who was efficient last week, twenty of twenty six, mm-hmm. two hundred yards. But he is also limited, I think. And you're going to get that. That's that's the kind of way he has to run the mm-hmm. offense. Twenty of twenty six, two hundred yards. Um, this isn't facing Aaron Rodgers again. This isn't facing Patrick Mahomes, but he's got the best running back in the league as far as yards last year. Uh-huh. Uh, Josh Jacobs behind him, led the league. And then Devontae Adams. You're talking about Jacoby Myers, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro. This is a an offense with a lot of weapons on it, yeah. Matt. I mean, after what you saw from the Bills defense, how equipped are they, do you think, to handle all that? I actually think they're equipped fairly well because I don't think that you know, Josh Jacobs scares you a bit just because he is a good running back. He didn't have a great game. He only averaged two and a half yards of carry against the Broncos. And admittedly, I don't know a ton about the Broncos defensive line. So that's not obviously a great output, but the bills are susceptible to giving up a big play on the ground. We saw that multiple times in the last game they played. The reason I think it's a pretty nice matchup for the bills is I thought their defensive line was cooking, especially in the pass rush last game with Leonard Floyd and Greg Rousseau, even at Oliver a little bit. And Jimmy Garoppolo is not the most mobile guy. Like even when Rogers was in the game for those four plays, they were getting after him. And Zach Wilson is significantly more mobile than Aaron Rodgers is. So that's kind of one of those things where it's like you game planned for, Aaron Rodgers, then Zach Wilson comes in. You should be able to adapt and adjust better than maybe they did at times, but they were still getting after Zach Wilson as well. So I think this might be a matchup where they can generate some pressure, force him into making some bad throws, and you just got to try and capitalize. He'll still be efficient. He's still going to probably throw some short passes that you're going to, you know, they're going to break off for 15, 20 yards, and you're going to be frustrated. It's like, why did that happen? But you'll also probably be able to pin him back on third and long a few times, and that's when you should be able to get him off the field or force a turnover. Sean McDermott the other day mentioned Christian Benford's play to run down uh, Brees Hall and how he mm-hmm. said that's, that's the kind of play that should be on sports. There should be on highlights. You teach kids not only how to play the game, but how to live your life. Um, just the secondary in general, after last week, obviously, you know, not facing Aaron Rodgers is different than facing, you know, facing Aaron Rodgers is going to be different than facing Zach Wilson. But um, just the secondary in general, obviously, with these weapons, let's say Myers does play, Myers, Devontae mm-hmm. Adams, and Hunter Renfro. They're going to pose yeah. some problems out there, but I like yeah, the way sure. the corners played. And I know Tredavious White got beat on a play, but that was a heck of a catch. And it was a kind of a kind of a fortunate bounce. He, he, he batted it to himself, I guess. So give him credit. Garrett Wilson, he's great. But, um, you know, I think otherwise, I have no, no problem with the way the secondary played, other than maybe, to be honest with you, Taylor Rapp and the run game. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, I joked before about Rex Ryan saying like, if you take out the big play, the defense did great. And I know you can't do that, but legitimately, but I am going to do it (laughs) because if besides the massive Brees Hall run, the bills defense was solid. I mean, you had, you had players who probably need to be better. Taylor Rapp. I know a lot of people have said needed to be better. I didn't notice a ton of issues with Taylor Rapp, but it's not like I'm, 
paying a ton of attention to their third safety. The Bernard stuff is interesting because it feels like the big run ha- run happened because Bernard lined them up in the wrong spot. And there were also a couple plays that you probably want him to be better on. I anticipate that he is still the guy this week. I think mm-hmm. they're going to give him time to try and grow into that role. But I do think Christian Kirksey is going to kind of be just kind of floating back there. And if this does not go well, the same thing I said about Ken Dorsey earlier. I don't think the Terrell Bernard leash is super long. And I don't think the leash is, you know, being pulled because of Tyrell Dodson. I think it would be because of Kirksey. But as far as like those guys that stepped up, Christian Benford, awesome. Like really, yeah. really I, I feel much better, even in a loss, much better about their secondary, well, their, their corners than I did before the game. Yeah, I think it's well said. All right, well, the Bills and Raiders, they get after it in Orchard Park, 1 o'clock on Sunday. A lot of other big games around the league. Let's just touch on mostly the AFC games that are going to matter here. Uh, the Bengals, they also did not look good. We talked about Joe Burrow. One of the stats that came out of the last you know, 48 hours or whatever since we've done another podcast is Burrow didn't do anything down the field. That calf is still bothering him, Matt. And mm-hmm. obviously, I mean, he did miss all that time, and it's a pretty significant injury, but he can't drive the ball. And that said, I think they're in danger of going 0-2 here. I think they're much more in danger than the Bills playing the Raiders but I think the uh-huh. Ravens can go to Cincinnati and the Bengals could be 0-2 here. Yeah, well, I'm not like super high on the Ravens either, neither, but at the same neither. time, Justin Jefferson, I think just we're watching the game live here. I, I think you're he I got I got the stat sheet open, so I'm taking a look at it. Go ahead. I think you might have just fumbled it out of the end zone for oh a touchback. Gosh. Interesting. I don't I know if you've got fantasy already. implications. I it, yeah. it could be just, you know, that he ran out at the one, but I guess we'll find out. Um, okay, going back to that. I don't think the Ravens are that great, but the Bengals looked like they really stunk. I watched a lot of that game in the hotel lobby the other day, and I just don't know what was up with them. It's hard to not give them the benefit of the doubt because we're sitting here giving the Bills the benefit of the doubt, and the Bengals have had a more explosive offense, at least recently, than the Bills have with better and more consistent weapons. I think they'll figure it out, but that's a tough defense to try and figure it out against. And like you said, if you fall to 0-2 in that division, I know the division is not as good as maybe we thought it was a week ago because of maybe the Steelers, but you got to play the Browns again. You know what I mean? Like you've got to play yep. the Steelers twice. you got to still play the Ravens again. Like that, that might be too deep of a hole in that division. Yeah, that's a tough division for sure. Speaking of that division, Monday night – you got the Browns and Steelers and the Browns looked really good against the Bengals. The Steelers looked horrible. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel a Steelers bounce back coming now. Maybe it's because um, I've already, I kind of, I, I picked the Steelers to be better than what they showed on Sunday. And I kind of want that to happen just for that purpose for me to be right. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's Mike Tomlin and getting off the mat after a game like that. I think his team can do it prime time Monday night at home against the Cleveland Browns. I think, you know, Cleveland feeling themselves feeling good. I understand that. I, I think that the Steelers should have a bounce back game there. That's a big game for both these teams too. Yeah, I, I'm just not sold yet on Deshaun Watson and the Browns offense. I just I know that he was fine the other day, but he did not by any stretch knock my socks off. So that makes me wonder against a better defense, how will he look? And I don't know. I, I just genu- I feel like the Steelers game is one of those games where they fell behind so soon that they were trying to play catch up and they just couldn't. And if it was a closer game, it would have looked like, you know, a much tougher battle all the way through. But the deficit was just too big. I don't think the Steelers are great, but I think that they will come to play. And I think I don't even know what the line is, but I think I would probably take the Steelers in that game. I'm just looking. I think they, he did fumble, didn't he? he threw, phoned it through the end zone. Justin Jefferson. We're, we're doing you know this what? in real time with everyone. I think he did. You know I'm reading Twitter and it looked like everyone is saying that, but I don't know if that's been declared. You know what another you know what another unbelievable game this weekend could potentially be, and obviously massive implications. I'm gonna Chiefs make you at guess. Jags. Yeah, Chiefs at Jags. Yeah, that was my next on the list. I'm trying to talk to you about the Jeffers Justin yeah. Jefferson play first. I didn't know if you were watching it. I'm not watching it. Well, okay. What if you know the Je- the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Bengals all lose week one? I what I are you like what's what is the likelihood that all three of those teams win week two? It's not very good. Somebody's going to lose. Obviously, probably if you're a Bills right. fan, you're really hope. Obviously, if you're a Bills fan, you're really hoping it's not the Bills, and they probably have the most favorable matchup. But the Chiefs are on the road against the Jags, a team that's I think up and coming. 
what if they fall to zero and two? Is there converse like is there a chance they miss the play? I don't even want to say uh, it. It's, it's I mean, the I Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I don't think I, I maybe. I mean, I guess there's always a chance, right? You don't know, but yeah, the Chiefs are a little bit in trouble. If they start 0-2 also, now the difference is they'd have one NFC loss, one AFC loss, but it would be still be big news. I think the bigger issue would be why they're 0-2, and that is because they don't seem to have a really good semblance of a wide receiver core, even with Travis Kelsey coming back, and he's going to be maybe limited. We'll see what his status is and how he plays and performs, but I think there are bigger issues in Kansas City here. Yeah, you know, I think they write the ship. I think probably right. I think getting Travis Kelsey back makes everybody else that much better. I don't think Tony will ever play a football game that bad again. I think that Sky Moore has a ceiling that has not even been close to being reached yet. And I trust Patrick Mahomes probably Mm -hmm. maybe more than I should, but I still think that he's the best player in the NFL and he's absolutely capable of, you know, getting this team back to the level that they have shown they can play at of the three teams that were the top three seeds in the AFC last year. So chiefs, Mm -hmm. Bengals, bills, who, who is it the most, like who needs to win the most? I think I would go Bengals, bills, chiefs. Um, I think you're right. I think that sounds right. If Aaron Rodgers was still in the Jets, I'd say maybe the Bills first. Because the division is a little different now, right? But, mm-hmm. yeah, that, I mean, yeah, and yeah, I probably. But, man, they all need to get a win. I think it's either Bengals or Bills. I don't think it's the Chiefs. Yeah, I agree. Because their first that. loss, the difference is the Chiefs' first loss, again, was NFC team. So, even mm-hmm. technically record-wise, uh, they would not. Um, and, by the way, Jags lost to the Chiefs 27-20 in the playoffs. Yeah. Jags are home in this game. And – that's a team the Jags have a pretty easy division. Like they're looking to get, if they win this game against the Chiefs. They're three games, two and a half up on them. When you're mm-hmm. talking about seeding, that matters because they'd have a two and oh against an oh and two and they were beating them head to head. All right, two more games. I just want to touch on with you. And one of them is just a question of do the Jets have any chance with Zach Wilson and that defense to do anything at Dallas? Or is this like, no, this is it. Dallas is just going to boat race them and it doesn't matter. Yeah. I think that the Bills. With not, I don't want this to be like a complete shot at the Jets. They won the game. They did enough. They made a big play to win the game. But I still think the Bills lost that game more than the Jets won the game. And I don't think that you have that happen to you two games in a row. I think that they'll go there and just, I don't think they'll get boat raced because their defense is too good Mm -hmm. to get boat raced. But I think they lose a double digit game. And then finally, isn't it one and all Miami Dolphins? Real quick. Isn't it weird? I, I saw this somewhere. I don't know who came up with it or who said it first. The team with the biggest spread in their favor this week lost last week. That's the mm-hmm. Bills. The team mm-hmm. who is the biggest underdog this week won last week. That is the Jets. <laughs> week to week league. That is funny. You're right. Yeah. Um, by the way, it, I, I'll actually I'll wrap up with something else that I want to get to. But Dolphins at Patriots is the last game I want to get to. Dolphins Patriots. Look, I think the Patriots actually played a pretty good game against the Eagles. You and I were together watching most of that game uh, mm-hmm. in New York. Shout out Jack Dempsey's uh, bar in time in uh, Manhattan down by yeah. uh, what MSG and Times Square and all that. Anyway, right, right by MSG. Yeah, there you go. Um, we were watching that game and, you know, the Eagles just came out and they were already up 16 nothing. It looked like it was over. And the Patriots came back and they played a good game. Mac Jones played well. He played well. Um, mm-hmm. The Dolphins, of course, they were kind of the story of week one. Tua now is the favorite to win the MVP. I don't know if you know yeah. this. Dolphins are actually the favorite to win the AFC East. All of that is true. The Dolphins also gave up over 30 points to the Chargers. I mean, they won 36 to 34, so it wasn't all roses there. So no. I give the Patriots a, a, a chance here in this game at home. I don't, just because mm-hmm. they're even though they gave up 34 points to the Chargers, I do not see them giving up 34 points to the Patriots, right? Like, what would that take? Would that take maybe Mac Jones' best game in a year and a half? And which playmakers, like you think about the Chargers, all the guys that that team has, you have Austin Eckler, you had Mike Williams, you had Keenan Allen, you had Quentin Johnson, you have all these guys. Like the playmakers on New England are still just not good enough. Kendrick Bourne, nice player. Ramondre Stevenson, good running back. But that cannot be a team that ever gashes you for over 30 points. Right. Like if they're coming about if they're getting ready to play the Bills, what's the number you think the Bills need to get at to win the game? To me, it's probably like 24. 
right? If they score more than 23 points on you, your defense didn't do enough. So I, I do mm-hmm. think that Miami, I think, I think Miami is very legit, like very yep. legit. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why uh, this but is you don't have any concerns game. about their defense at all. I think that they could score the legitimately horrible against the Chargers. I know, but I, I think they can score 35 points every week. And your defense yeah, can think, kind of, they might be able to, but I don't, you can't have a defense like that and just re, and just say, we're just going to, there's going to be games. You just don't score sometimes like that. The bills have had mean, a, a seasons like that. 2020, they were like that, you know what I mean? And I, I, I know they won a lot of games in 2021, but, <laughs> but I just like, think that there's, what, you got to be able to stop a team once in a while. And they just didn't do it. Maybe, maybe their defense is great from here on out. You know, Vic Fangio, the, but I would be I mean, a little concerned if I'm a Dolphins fan watching that. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you'd be concerned. You want to have a great offense and a great defense, but realistically, it's more important to have a great offense. Look at the Chiefs. Like the Chiefs have never had a dominant defense and they've won two Super Bowls in the last couple of years. That has nothing to do with their defense. It's because they could go out there and score 38 points. And Tua is certainly not Patrick Mahomes, but Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell are the best one-two punch in the NFL. And it feels like Mike McDaniel is just so freaking smart. When it comes to scheming his guys open, mm-hmm. there were a couple plays. You know, you see the all twenty-two film and stuff the days after the game, where there's nothing the Chargers could have done. Like these guys are just so much better than the defensemen or defensemen than the defenders that right. it's like, wh- what are you gonna do? Yeah. Sorry, what are you gonna do against Tyree Kill? You gonna play man? No. Okay. Well, then they'll just find a spot in the like. It's crazy. All right, last thing. 60, uh, 61 was, yard field goal. I got like a little sidetracked there because he just okay. made it. So, what happened here? The uh, Jake Elliott? Yeah, 61 okay, yarder. Well, that's great because oh. I have him on one of my fantasy teams. Jake's 61 nice. yarder. So it was set up because Justin, Justin Jefferson, Jefferson did fumble the ball out of the, out of the end zone. Okay, last thing. We're going to wrap up with this. Is that the worst rule in football? It might be the worst rule in sports. The, you fumble it out of the end zone, it's a touchback. I mean, I, the defense did nothing, they didn't even recover it. This is a rule that I don't know what it should be, but it can't be that. Huh. It's not the worst rule in sports. It's a dumb rule. It's not the it worst a dumb rule, rule in sports. Though. I don't know what the you know worst what? rule is in sports. This is a dumb rule. You know what the worst rule in sports is? Tell me. This is maybe a little bit more niche. Um, with flipping the puck over the glass and it being a delay of game penalty in your own end on the ice. I disagree. I think it's actually a good rule. But anyway. Oh, I think it's a terrible rule. And I think it's especially a terrible rule in like a high stakes setting or in like a playoff game. Could you imagine those refs do not call anything a playoff game? You can assault somebody on the ice and it's like, yeah, it's playoff hockey, but then you care. flip the care. puck over the game. boards. I can't, don't care. Flip it over the boards on purpose. Too bad. Go sit down. You, you know, th- keep the oh. game. Moving. Oh, I think it's, I'm here to watch rule. I think right. it's such I want to talk. Rule. I want to talk about this rule. Justin Jefferson fumbling the ball out of bounds. Yeah. What can be done about it? Maybe I don't know. I was going to say you can't just take it. You take it back to where the fumble happened. But yes, I, but I mean, or the one yard line. I don't know. I get the here's theory, what I think should ha- actually. Th- what I think should happen is you do put it at the twenty, but the offense keeps it. I was going to say maybe like it's a penalty. Maybe it's like a delay of game penalty or something, well, and it's how like about a, this, Matt. And no, here's why it's the dumb, dumb rule. In no other area of the field does the offense not keep that ball. Yeah, I know. If you are going forward at your twenty and fumble it at the twenty-five out of bounds. You keep the ball. Why should it be any different once it goes through the end zone? Yeah, well, it's but also on the field. You're just like farther down the field, you're just basically talking about the sidelines. You're not also talking about going out the back of it. You know what I mean? Like, that's a very... But, but sometime, but it, I don't know where it went on this one. I didn't see it. It went, si- it went side still. Yeah, it would be a very rare instance for it to go out of the back. Like, that does not happen very right. often, but it is, you know, a much bigger area that it comes into play. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that you got to protect the ball more when you get closer to the end zone. <laughs> I, I don't of think course. that it's... You sound like a coach. I, I don't Just protect the ball. That, and it won't happen, son. It's not a good rule, but there needs to be some sort of punishment for it. It's you could not just have like what Justin Jefferson just did. You couldn't just give the ball back to the Vikings at the one yard line. There needs to be some sort of punishment. Give and back to him at the 20. I like that. I like that because even if you do that, so you do it on third down and you're diving to try and get into the end zone and you fumble it, then, okay, at least you're still getting some points. You're obviously not getting a touchdown, but you're getting some points 
or conceivably if you make it. Yeah, it's a stupid rule, but there's a lot of stupid. This is a billion dollar sport that has the margin for error that is ridiculous. I mean, like in tennis, you can see exactly where the ball lands on the line. And this is based off of where guys think they see, uh, you know, guys and gals think they see the football going to, and they measure it with a chip. It's like the exact, the inexact science that is football. Bills Raiders, they've played 42 times, including playoffs, 42 times since 1960. Do you know the record? 42 times, uh, 21 and 21. That's exactly right. This is the rubber <laughs> match, 21 and 21. Bills and Raiders since 1960. 21-19 Raiders regular season, 2-0 Bills postseason. On the next podcast, Matt and I will debate the puck over the glass rule in the NHL. How about that? All right. Mike Robbie, thank you. I think you're so wrong, man. I like that rule. I didn't like it when it happened to the Sabres against the Hurricanes, of course. You know what right. another you know what another stupid rule is? This isn't even really like a stu- I guess this isn't even like a Our producers like are we going to get out of here or what? Let's go. What? Shoot get rid of the shootout forever. It's stupid. Ah, uh, okay. I I'd be okay with that. I don't I don't mind it, but stupid. Can we maybe we could just end games and ties again. I don't know. No. No. Yeah. Not not that either. <laughs> I mean, you got to come up with something. All right, we will uh 3 to 1 point system that should be implemented, right? We got to do all that. Yes. All right. Yeah. This is not Let's a stop talking. Show, Let's just stop talk talking. hockey at some point down the road. In the meantime, enjoy your week number two in the NFL. Matt Bove, WKBW TV Channel 7, Sal Capaccio, WGR Sports Radio 550. Thank you to Mike Robbie, our producer. Thank you for listening and watching on Sal Sports on YouTube.